The Leap Foundation proudly presents the Meet the Mentor podcast with New York Times bestselling author, motivational speaker, and celebrity dentist, Dr. Bill Dorfman. Hey, Dr. Bill here. This is going to be a killer, or maybe not, (laughs) Meet the Mentor. Not only are we going to interview Dr. Jeremy Fine, who's been my doctor for a long, long time, but we're also going to give you an update on the coronavirus with a lot of new statistics that are out and with a great medical professional. Oh, I'm not allowed to touch people um, here to talk about it. Before we do this, a few quick things. If you haven't signed up for LEAP yet, do it now. Um, we are filling up. The program will be amazing. We are going to be July 19th to the 25th at the beautiful UCLA campus. I'm super duper excited. Uh, we have great Great, great speakers coming again. Paula Abdul will be there. Um, I think Dennis Quaid's going to be able to make it. Christian Slater said he's going to come. Um, I think I have a great Olympic athlete coming as well. I can't tell you his name yet, but he should be a gold medal winner by then. So it's going to be super, super exciting. Also, the Leap Gala is happening. It will be our second Leap Gala. It's going to be April 29th at the beautiful Jim Henson Studios. That little green frog will be there. I'm not allowed to say his name. (laughs) Crazy, but he will be. And um, it should be a great time. Kirsty from Pentatonix is going to sing. We're going to give a Lifetime Achievement Award to Paula Abdul. She has been such a huge supporter of Leap from the get-go. And also my dear, dear, dear sweet friend, Louis J. Louis J. is the director for the Oscars, the Grammys, the Golden Globes, the Emmys, like any live award TV show. Uh, Louis J. is the man. And I literally got to watch him in action at the Golden Globes this year. So um, that will be exciting. So let's get to it. Uh, Dr. Jeremy Fine is a native of Johannesburg, South Africa. He grew up in Los Angeles, though. He completed medical training in internal medicine at Cedar sinai Medical Center in 2004. He was then selected to be chief resident. He's also a former clinical instructor at both UCLA and USC schools of medicine. He was chosen by Los Angeles Magazine as one of the best doctors in Los Angeles for his exemplary skills and innovative approach to medicine. He also has been selected as one of California's favorite physicians, and mine too, in 2010, and was voted the most compassionate doctor. Dr. Fine loves to travel and has practiced medicine and lectured in cities across the globe, including Oslo, Norway, Sydney, Australia, Japan, Tel Aviv, Israel, and he is a proud father of three boys and married to a beautiful woman named Sharon, and um, Jeremy... Thank you for being here. Pleasure to be here. Thank you for having me. So before we get to the whole Corona update and all that, I really want to just spend a little bit of time talking about your careers as a doctor. Okay. First of all, thank you for having me. You know, medicine is a marathon career and starts earlier in life um, for some people and later in life for others. But I think the the important thing to remember about a career in medicine or health or quite frankly, anything you want to do is find something that you're interested in and then hone in on it and work towards that inch by inch. Uh, people sometimes think you have to do a million things at once 
all at once, which you don't. The goal of life in general, career in general, for me, it was medicine or healthcare, is to enjoy what you're doing and through your life experiences, continue to hone in on the things you like. But, but why medicine? Like what? what yeah, so I don't know. I mean, good question. I always liked biology growing up. I would always learn about um, biology in elementary school. And before I went to med school, I was actually going to become a vet because I love animals. So, and I like biology. And then I realized um, I didn't want to deliver baby calves and stick my hand up, you know, and grab a calf out. So I was like, okay, well, veterinary school is not for me, but I actually didn't grow, you know, come out of the womb saying I want to be a doctor. So I got to interject something here too, because when I went to dental school, the question that people would always say was, oh, weren't you good enough to get into medical school? I'm like, that wasn't even an issue. I mean, on a really bad day in my office, I lose a tooth. You lose 32 at one time. Right. And for me, I just didn't want to have to deal with like that life or death thing. That takes a really special kind of skill. I, I just didn't think I'd be good at it. First of all, you're being humble because you make people's lives extraordinary and change them in many, many ways. But I accept your humility. You're a good man <laughs> and you're my dentist. Uh, with that said, I agree. Everyone does what they like. And again, I was going to become a vet. And then after that, I was going to become a, a botanist. I studied plant biology at UCLA and that didn't work out for various reasons. And so ultimately I knew I liked science. I knew I liked people. I wanted to help people. And this is where the road took me. My advice would be don't paint yourself into a corner to say, I have to do A, have to do B, have to do C. Let your life take you and your interest take you where you, where it does. And you may be surprised ultimately where you end up. For me, it was a very sort of long, gradual process that ultimately coalesced to a career in medicine. But I, it could have easily been something else. But if 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 I have a young student out there watching us right yeah. now, and they really are interested in becoming a physician, what advice would you give them? What kinds of classes should they take? And is there anything else that you think would be pertinent for them to really focus on at this point in their life? Yeah. I mean, I think at this point, the important thing is to get exposure. So take a class in biology and chemistry. A lot of the things that happen in medicine on the way to get to medicine can be a little bit of a filter. So if you hate chemistry, it doesn't mean you can't be a doctor. Just deal with chemistry and organic chemistry physics. Just do it because it's a means to an end. But don't get scared that if you can't get through chemistry, you're not going to be a doctor. That's insane because a lot of people, especially in the first year of college, take all these big classes and get totally spooked out. If you really have your mindset on something, you'll figure out a way to get through it. And chemistry and biology and uh, organic chemistry and physics. I forgot everything and don't use it. Doesn't mean you don't have to take it. So don't, don't get freaked out. Don't, don't be that person who gets really scared about it and then get exposure. Go to a doctor's office, go to a dentist's office, go to a, a a hospital volunteer, Um, you know, understand the realm of, of the career that you're going to get into. And there may be things that you ultimately didn't know about, which could either help steer you into that field or away from that field. Exposure, but most importantly, do do fun stuff. You know, um, the process is hard enough. Try to do stuff that's enjoyable on every level, and um, and I think that ultimately will pay off and and help guide you and steer you to where you ultimately end up. 
Uh, yeah, and I think that's great. And, you know, I always welcome students to come and shadow me. It's a lot harder for, for Jeremy as a physician. He can't really do that. But my patients are very accommodating. And I have over 200 students every year come in and literally shadow me and watch. I have a cute anecdotal story about um chemistry. Um, he's right. You know, you, you know, my, like I, I was all like, I was all in, you know, I, I took all the pre-med pre-dent classes. Uh, and I, I remember I studied and studied and studied in my very, very first midterm at UCLA. I, I failed. It was in, it was in, it was in, um, chemistry, chem one. And, and I'm like, the, the instructor said, anybody who gets below 70 should consider dropping out and possibly changing majors. And I got like 60 and I was devastated. So I went in and I met with him and he ended up becoming a lifelong friend. Dr. Russell Hardwick is still my patient. When I opened my doors, he and his wife, Pat, were two of my first patients. He's now 96 and he still comes to me. That's a great story. That That is a great story and a testament to what hard work is. So don't get spooked out. Keep your eye on the prize. Totally, totally. Um, now, one thing before we go to the coronavirus update, you chose to practice medicine in a very unique and novel way, which I'd like to have you explain. One of the things that I really love about the, the medical profession is, you know, as a dentist, I really honed in on cosmetic dentistry. You get to create the kind of practice you have. I have friends that have become pedodontists or endodontists or periodontists or whatever. But, you know, Jeremy was in a very large group practice kind of doing internal medicine like everybody did. And then he had, I'll use a Jewish word, the chutzpah to go out and do something different, which is a, a concierge kind of delivery system. And I'd like you to just spend a minute and talk about that and why you felt that that would fit best with the your style of delivering healthcare. Sure. So, so my goal in going into medicine was to be able to take care of people and, and spend time with them and not feel disproportionately rushed to get in and out of a room to see a patient. The medical system sort of can go in any way you want, but there are many patients out there and perhaps fewer doctors. So my goal was to take really good care of patients and spend time with them. I transformed my practice into a practice whereby I have fewer patients and spend much more time with them. So I reduced the volume of patients I see so that the reason I went into medicine, which would be getting to know my patients, being able to do house calls, giving them my cell phone, getting to know them and their family and everything about them could be fulfilled. So I reduced my practice. I have either individuals or families. I have some multi-generational. So I take care of the parents, the kids and the grandkids. And so the sort of goal of what I went into medicine for has been fulfilled in the way that I've sort of reshaped my practice. And Ultimately, I think the most fulfilling part about what I do is not only giving the medical care, but really getting entrenched and getting to know the families and becoming part of their family, which is, you know, kind of a big rewarding aspect of the medicine as in addition to, of course, you know, dealing with the healthcare and the medical and the, you know, heart disease and all the other things that are sort of traditionally associated with medical care. All right. So let's talk about coronavirus. There's a lot of myths out there. There's a lot of false information. 
There's a big scare. And what we'd like to do is really give you facts right now so you can understand what's going on with this. I was just supposed to go to a huge conference um, with YPO down in San Diego. I should have been there this week. Um, They had thousands and thousands of people flying in and coming, and they literally canceled it and gave everybody a refund. Is that a right choice? I, I don't know. But let, let's talk about this. So in the L.A. Times um, published yesterday that China's Center for Disease Control and Prevention has monitored 70,000 cases in China right now. 15% of the people infected with coronavirus in China that have died – 15% are over 80 years old. Not only are they over 80 years old, they're also in poor health, and they also got care really late in the game. Overall, in all of China, with the 70,000 cases that they've monitored, they have a 2% mortality rate. And again, the 2% are typically in people who are over the age of 60 and also in poor health, right? So, what is it? It's basically a respiratory illness. Um, it originated in Hunan, China in 2019. How is it spread? It's spread by droplets, which they estimate travel up to six feet. Um, the droplets will come from coughing or sneezing or a handshake or a doorknob or something like that. And then the way it's introduced into your body is you either inhale it or you touch a doorknob and then you touch your eye or your nose or your mouth. Um, And so you have to be cognizant of these things and and take some precautions. Jeremy, anything? Yeah. So that was well said. So, so coronavirus as a viral family is not new. People have been getting infected with coronavirus for decades and what makes this particular coronavirus unique is that it's a little bit more resilient and hardy and tends to be a little bit more aggressive once you get it. So we've all had a cough, a cold, and if we had swabbed everyone every time we had a cough or a cold, you, coronavirus would have come up. This just happens to be a more aggressive. The mortality rate, as Dr. Dorfman said, is with people who are older. Their statistics, 1.2%, 3.2%. But let's say an average of 2 to 3% mortality, which means if you get it, those are the 2 to 3 out of every 100 people who got it died. Those people are older, typically 70 to 80-year-olds, and who have what we call comorbid conditions. Not only are they 70 or 80, but they have asthma, they've been smokers, they have heart disease, diabetics. They're over, overall less healthy people. And so when a virus attacks somebody who's less healthy, just like it would if they had influenza or the flu – they would get more ill and could theoretically die. Um, the, the, the numbers are likely even lower mortality than that because we haven't been testing everyone. There Correct. could be five times as many people in China with corona. We only are testing the people who are known or who are dying. So the likely statistic is actually lower. It could even be 1%. Because for every person we know has corona, in theory, there could be five more who have it and we don't know. And they're not telling you because they feel fine. So actually, I would I would guesstimate that the mortality rate, which is, again, the number of people per hundred that die who get corona, is actually lower than what they're reporting. Another important fact to remember is that a virus, if it's sitting on this table, 
you will not get coronavirus unless it goes from here into your mouth, your nose, or your eyes. So how does it get there? It doesn't fly into the face. So the only way to get coronavirus or, again, any virus like the flu or other is if it gets into your nose, eyes, or mouth. So if somebody with corona is standing next to you and coughs in your face, you got corona. The chances of that happening, pretty zero, right? Somebody's coughing, they're going to go in their thing. So most people are going to get it in a secondary way. Corona sitting on the table or a doorknob or you go to the gas station, you pump it. Now you touch it and corona is now on your fingers. You still cannot get corona. It doesn't go through the skin. The only way you're going to get corona is now that it's sitting on your finger, if you don't wash your hands or Purell, is if you pick your nose, touch your eye, eat a sandwich, and the corona is like, oh, we got entry. It has to get from your finger or the table into your face which is why the CDC and the World Health Organization and other organizations are telling people, wash your hands. And 20 seconds. 20 seconds. With warm water and soap. And, and don't touch your face. So if you have to scratch your nose, go like this. Don't shake people's hand because if they have it, the likelihood of it getting near your face is closer. And if you avoid touching your face, the incidence and infectivity rate drops probably better than anything else you could do. Wearing a mask is good for people who have symptoms. So if somebody has corona, again, or the flu, and coughs, if they have a mask, the cough is not going to go in the air and hang out for six, whatever the statistics are, it's going to go in your mask. But if you don't have corona or don't feel bad and you're just wearing a mask, it's not going to do that much. Yeah, I really want to emphasize this because there's a lot of people, in fact, there's a world shortage on masks right? Wearing a mask is most helpful for people who are actually sick to prevent spreading it to other people. Because if you cough into a mask, you're preventing that aerosol, you're preventing that from going onto your friends. So if you do know that you have a cold or you're sick, you're actually doing your friends a favor by wearing a mask. But you personally just wearing a mask to prevent it is not going to do that much. I have some statistics I also want to share too that's really important. According to the County Department of Public Health, the risk right now in the United States and in Los Angeles is considered very low. Okay. This is also much, much more mild than SARS was or MERS. Okay. MERS killed 33% of people untreated, SARS 10%. And right now the estimate on Corona is about 3% worldwide. But again, as Dr. Fine said, these are people with already compromised medical conditions. So the chances of a young, healthy person contracting this and dying from it are very very, very slim. Yes. So to put it all in context, I think the most important thing is panic drives, hysteria, and, you know, there are preventative measures being taken. So for example, you've seen on the news or presumably seen on the news that they're closing schools. Why are they closing schools if one person or no people have it, but a relative of somebody? Children under 11 are typically asymptomatic. They don't even know they have it. But they are called vectors, which means they carry it. Your kid goes to daycare. Your kid goes in whatever second grade, doesn't know he has corona, but the friend has it, gives it to him because they're all sharing toys and slobbering all over everything, 
bring it home, and then the kids bring it to the parents and the grandparents. The goal of the school closures is not because there's a, a widespread panic that everyone in the school is going to get ill from corona, but rather it contains the spread and infectivity for those kids to take it home to the community. Exactly. So it's a preventative measure so that they don't get other people sick. Um, and, and what Dr. Dorfman said is globally, the statistics are exceptionally low, but not zero. So you have to be smart about it, understand the mechanics of how a virus gets you sick, which is again, what we said, it has to get into your nose, mouth, or eyes. And if you understand the mechanics of it, you will do things to prevent that from happening, like hand washing, keeping your hands away from your face, and staying away from people who are sick, which is why they're saying, if you're sick, stay home. It sounds pretty intuitive, but a lot of people who are sick just go to work anyway and kind of struggle through it. This would be the time for even those people to kind of hang out at home. And a few more things that I think you should know. The estimated incubation time for this, meaning the time it takes if you were exposed to coronavirus for you to actually get sick and show symptoms is between two and 14 days. Um, the main symptoms that people exhibit when they have it are fever, um, a dry cough and fatigue. Um, probably a lot less than what you've experienced if you've ever had the influenza, the flu. It usually is not more severe than that, but it has created a, a big scare worldwide. If you're watching this on Instagram live and you have questions and they pop up, I'll kind of have Charlie looking at my phone and, and answer them. Um, if you are a student and you're thinking about going to medical school or dental school, um, you're welcome to contact me at my office. You're always welcome to shadow. If students that are thinking about going to medical school would like to ask you a question, Jeremy, uh, what's the best way to contact you? Uh, call Dr. Dorfman on his cell phone <laughs> directly and he'll find me or show up at his house. Um, we do have a question popping up, Charlie. Uh, interesting. Can Corona be sexually transmitted? I'm going to say if you are sexually intimate with somebody and they have coronavirus, there's a pretty good chance you're going to get the coronavirus. I don't think, you know, it's sexually transmitted as most STDs are, but the fact that you're that close to somebody, I don't know, Jeremy. Yeah. Corona doesn't live it lives in, it's a respiratory virus. It doesn't live in your stomach, doesn't live in your gut, doesn't live in your genitals. So it's not a traditional STD like other ones are, and it's not transmitted the same way. However, if somebody has corona and you're sexually active with them, you're kissing, you're caught, I mean, you're going to get, you're, you're likely to get corona through non-sexual means, but Close proximity would be the reason why you get it, not because you're having, you know, unprotected sex or protected sex. It only lives in the nose, the throat, the lungs, and the bronchioles. It doesn't go into the other organs. Yeah. Any other questions? That's a good question. That was a really good question. It's funny because the lion's share of the information I'm sharing with you actually was published by APLA. Um, mm. they've been, they've been very diligent about getting this information out, but, you know, I, I think the most thing, the most important point that both Dr. Fine and I are trying to make is just be smart, you know, be careful, wash your hands, um, you, you know, practice good hygiene, uh, make sure that if 
you know, you do cough or sneeze, whatever you cover your cough and, you know, try and avoid putting yourself in a situation where you can't get infected. Don't touch your eyes, your ears. Well, actually that's another one. A lot of people were concerned about whether they can get it through their ears. I don't think you can because the ears are a closed circuit. There's an eardrum in there and it's nothing gets past it. So I'd, I'd have to double check, but I would say the answer is no. It's mainly eyes, nose, and mouth. So, you know, make sure you, you wash your hands, use warm water and soap for a good 20 seconds. Uh, make sure you, you or you can use an alcohol-based uh, hand disinfectant, which I, I hear are pretty much like you know, out of stock in every store you're going to now, but just be smart about it and, um, and you should be fine. And again, you know, if you do know of somebody who's ill, stay away from them, especially keep them away from elderly people and especially elderly people that have other complicating medical factors. Well said. All right. With that, I do want to say thank you for watching. Um, our podcast has exploded. We are now number one in Poland, number three in Finland. We are in the top um, 107 countries worldwide, and we are 94th out of 47,000 in our category in the U.S., and I think that this will be another great addition. Uh, this will be live on Instagram for one day, and then it will be converted into the podcast, which will come out in the next week or two all right please 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 check out our gala get tickets come to it if you're a student um, you can sign up for leap and i will talk to you next week dr bill over and out to learn more about the leap foundation go to leapfoundation.com or find us on facebook at facebook.com slash the leap foundation on instagram at leap foundation and on twitter at leap los angeles Listen to the Meet the Mentor podcast with Dr. Bill Dorfman on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.